And so today I'm going to continue my ongoing series on what we believe and why, and today it's on tithing. Okay, I heard a lot of muscles <laughs> crunch up. I heard it all the way up here. Relax. We're not going to ask you for any money, okay? This is between you and the Lord. It's not between you and me. It's not between you and the church. This is between you and God. And I have a responsibility uh, as your pastor to give you the full counsel of God. Uh, that's my responsibility to you. Uh, and you know, I know my dad who preached for uh, 65 years uh, at our church from the pulpit, he always was, had some difficulty preaching about tithing because, of course, uh, he got a salary from the church. But you see, I'm untethered. Uh, I don't get paid by the church. I don't take a dollar from the church. So guess what? You can double my salary, and that would be great, but it has no effect whatsoever on my ability to preach tithing because I'm preaching about him. And so I want you to know this. So this sermon is about learning to walk with God. We're learning to walk with God, and tithing is an important part of your walk with God. The Lord wants to see your faithfulness. You know, your faithfulness is measured by God in some ways uh, by your generosity towards him. He looks to see how generous you are for, to him in the kingdom. Uh, and so I pray today that your heart will be touched by this message. I pray that the Lord will give you the courage to tithe. I want to give you a lesson in my own life that happened early on in our marriage. We were only married a couple years, and we moved into what was then called, believe it or not, the safest town in the United States. It was called, it was Nutley, New Jersey. And so we lived in a very small house in Nutley, New Jersey, and we would go to church every Friday and every Sunday. And so as we go to church Friday night, we come back, and lo and behold, the doors to the house are blown wide open. The lights are on. The house is ransacked. Someone had come in and robbed us, uh, and, and we were astonished. Here we are in the safest town in the United States, and we've just been robbed. In fact, we'd gotten a little puppy, and the puppy could, get, could go up the stairs. He couldn't come down the stairs, and so luckily he didn't run out. We found him upstairs in the house. But here is the lesson for you. We always tithed, and we took our tithe money and put it in a desk drawer. Now, I want you to understand something. The house was so ransacked that they even took the ceiling fixtures down, looking for places where we would have hidden money. And there it is in this desk drawer, clearly available, clearly seen in the right-hand drawer where the tithe money watch was, and it was untouched. It was as if the God put the Ark of the Covenant in the second-floor bedroom. Now, I understood that God was speaking to me then about the importance of his money, but I never realized that he wanted me to learn this lesson so someday I could preach it to you. God's generosity is holy. Everything you have is his. If I can get anything through you in my preaching, I want you to recognize that whatever you have, whatever God has given you, it's his. It's his. 
And so what we have to understand is that he wants you to see you give a portion back of what he's given you. And I want to assure you and ask God to give you courage about this because I want you to know that God can do more with 90% than you can with 100. And so this is an issue between you and God. It doesn't matter how much or little you have. You know, we have that example of Elisha meeting that widow who was absolutely destitute and had nothing left uh, but one meal. And he said to her, uh, make me a meal uh, and, and give me that. Uh, and she says, I'll do that, and then I'll die. And then what happened? What happened? Well, she, her oil, her provision of oil lasted forever. It would never run out. God blessed her. Now, look, Elisha didn't go, where's the wealthiest people in this town? Where are the rich people because I need to be taken care of? What did he do? He went to this poor widow lady who demonstrated her commitment to God. Uh, and so what a powerful lesson that is, whose son would subsequently die and be raised from the dead. I want you to see how God pours uh, blessings and blessings into our lives. So this is fundamentally an issue between you and God. I have a responsibility to teach you this. You know, we're not the Mormon church, which insists that their people bring their tax returns to church. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, I was in a prior church in which a pastor said, you know, we have all the money we need, except it's in your wallet. <laughs> we will never, ever say those things. God will give this church what God wants this church to have. And God has richly blessed this church. You're sitting in the provision of God. Uh, and so the key questions for you today, as I give you this sermon, uh, are these. What did Jesus, what does the Bible say about tithing? What did Jesus say about tithing? What is the purpose of giving money to the church? Uh, and so I want you to understand this. God does not need your money. The Bible says that God owns the cattle uh, on a thousand hills. All right? He has everything. He doesn't need your money. But he wants you to be part of his work. He wants to bless you. Uh, and so I pray that you come to conclude this at the end of this sermon. This is about walking with the Lord every day of your life. Now, the verse about tithing, 10% of your income, is found in Leviticus 27, verse 30. And there it says, and you'll see it on the board, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Notice that. Uh, whatever it is, it belongs to the Lord. 10% belongs to the Lord. This is now written 1,400 years before Christ would come. This is also written in Deuteronomy 14, again, one of the first five books of Moses. It says there, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. This is God teaching you about glorifying him, about revering his name. And notice what the, what the word says there, bring the tithes in the presence of the Lord, in the dwelling place 
of his name. In other words, the tabernacle, or today, the church, so that you may learn to revere God uh, and there even participate and eat of the tithes and eat of the blessings. Uh, now, Abraham was the first person in the Bible who tithed. Uh, and if you look at Genesis 14, uh, you will see a verse there that relates to this incredible uh, situation in which God blessed Abraham in battle. And God went out and won, uh, Abraham went out and won a wonderful victory uh, and partnered with some of those kings to do it. And so at the end of his success, here he is, this incredibly wealthy guy, and the king of Sodom approaches him and is blessing him and is seeking to establish a partnership with Abraham. But out of nowhere, Melchizedek appears. And in many ways, some theologians believe that Melchizedek is a Christophany, a Christophany, meaning a pre-incarnate a version of Jesus Christ, the high priest. Uh, and so here you see uh, in Genesis 14, verse 20, the verse says, And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. That's the word of the high priest. Praise God, Abraham. Your enemies were delivered into your hand by God. Don't let your head blow up. Don't let the king of Sodom tell you how great you are, what a tremendous general you are. The success you had was had because God gave it to you. Uh, and so here, as a result of that, Abraham, Abram gives Melchizedek a tenth of all the spoils that he got. And one of the things that you read there uh, is that Melchizedek celebrated this uh, effectively like the Lord's Supper. He had bread and wine that he gave him. And so effectively, you see the Christophany taking place here. This is Jesus effectively anointing that work and Jesus anointing, giving, and receiving of the tenth. And so as Melchizedek blessed Abram, Abraham in turn gave Melchizedek a tenth of all that he acquired. Now, the other thing that happened there was Abraham, as a result of that, the poison was taken away from the money. And that's what God wants you to understand, that when you recognize it's all his uh, and that a tenth belongs to him, you're not going like this. You know what I mean? Oh, it's all mine. Oh, I got a lot of things I want to do. I got a lot of things I want to spend. And that's the problem. It becomes self-centered. All we worry about is what I need, what I want. I need this. I want. Or you're a steward of God's work. You ever realize that? that God gave you what you have in order to be a steward? If you went home tonight to the Lord, can you look him in the eyes and say, oh, I was a good steward, Jesus. Oh, yeah. No, I know I went shopping a lot. I know I bought a lot of fancy cars. I like that boat a lot. And I'm not knocking any of that, but can you look the Lord in the eyes if he was here and say I was a good steward in faithfulness to what you gave me? Look at what you see also from Jacob, Jacob also uh, pledged a tithe. Look at Genesis 28, verse 22, where it says, And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. How about that? There they are out in the middle of nowhere. There's no tabernacle. This is before there will be a tabernacle. He sets up a pillar and says, This is God's house, and I will put a tenth there. Now, what you need to understand is the religiosity of Old Testament Jews. Because so many times in preaching, we knock them 
especially the Pharisees. Well, Old Testament law, and this is important to know, required multiple ties for the Levites, for temple operations, for feasts, and for the poor. The tithes came out on an annual basis to between 20 and 30% of all incoming money. That's the Old Covenant. That's the Old Testament. How much more today for us as we are under you know, grace? And so what does the New Testament say about tithing? And so Jesus effectively introduces a new perspective and endorses a new perspective on tithing and, off- and offerings. But Jesus, and this is important that you know that, Jesus endorsed tithing. But, and here's the but, he expects his followers to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He endorses tithing, but says your righteousness should exceed that. Look at what he says here in Matthew 23, 23, where he is excoriating the Pharisees who were diligent in tithing. He says, there, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. How about that? You should have practiced the latter. Practice tithing, but not neglecting mercy and love and faithfulness. And so here are important principles of Christian giving. First, God owns everything that you have. That's it. Whatever you have, whatever you've acquired, whatever he brings into your house, it's all his. He owns all the people. He owns all the money. And you are money managers. God has called you to be a steward over what he has given you. And that's an important part of this message, stewardship. Uh, Everything that you have here in this world was given to you by God. Uh, And God continues to give everything that you need, not necessarily what you want, but give everything you need, including money. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26. You'll see it on the board. For the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. There it is. Very simple. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In turn, we are to manage what he gives us so that his blessings and generosity towards us are not wasted. We have a responsibility to advance the kingdom of God with what he has given us. This requires Christian stewardship. Uh, Moreover, acquiring money is only possible through him uh, so that Christians need to show their gratitude by returning a portion of what he has given us. If if we remember and, and focus on that, that everything we have is his to start with, then we have understand that all we're doing is giving back to him what he already owns. You know, so many times when I do the Bible studies, men will come up to me and say, well, I need some guidance. Do I tithe on the net? or on the gross? Is it the net, or is it the gross? Look, get on your knees and ask him. 
Ask him, what do you think he wants? He gave it all to you. You're just parceling it back to him. Are you so miserly that you're like going, well, yeah, here it is. But I'm not giving you more than this because I really need it. Instead, you should say, yes, Lord, whatever I can give for your work, I want to give it to you because I know you're going to bless me. I love being a part of this. Uh, And this becomes a critical part of our walk with God. This is how God measures your faithfulness. Look, happiness is gained in this life uh, by what a person has given away, not by who a person may have or what they may have. It's what you give away, what you give away. My dad used to say, which I thought was so funny, that so many people in their whole life are going like this, let me have this, let me have that. And then the day they die, they go like this, whoa, it's all gone. It's all gone. What happened? Man, that's the lesson. Learn it. Learn it before you go from this world. Look at 1 Timothy uh, verse, uh, chapter 6. Paul's speaking to Timothy there. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Look, you understand You understand here that this is why tithing is important, because you're showing God how much you love him, how much you care for him. Uh, Don't worry about that. Uh, God is approving this message. Uh, and, And so I want you to understand that. Here's the problem. Here's what you find with people that have spent their lives acquiring wealth. Inevitably, they're arrogant, right? They're arrogant. You know, when I moved into Port Royal, uh, I decided to start a Bible study in Port Royal. Uh, Tom Lofgren and his widows with us uh, wanted me to do that with him, and we sent out 250 postcards, 250 postcards inviting every man that was in Port Royal uh, to come to my home and have a Bible study. Guess what? Not one guy came. Why? Because you understand when you're wealthy, when you have so many possessions, there's a sense of self-fulfillment. I don't need God. I don't need to go to a Bible study. I have everything that I have. And this is what God's warning you about. Look, your possessions, your wealth doesn't do that. All right? You can't accumulate money and have uh, happiness from that. We lose our obsession for material gain Uh, when we realize we're a steward for God. That's when you lose your obsession for money, when you understand that. It's all his, it's not ours. So what's the deal? Christians are to give to the church in proportion to God's provision. Instead of asking how much is required, Christians are really to ask, how much can I give? How much can I give? Uh, Tithing in the Old Testament gave us, effectively, rules for proportionate giving. Today, anybody dedicated to Christ under grace should be able to offer an appropriate portion of their wealth voluntarily to continue and support the ongoing operations of the church 
and the kingdom of God. And let me assure you of something. The church has a responsibility also with the money that you give the church. We have to advance the kingdom of God. That's why we take the money that you give us and we, we dedicate a tenth of that to give to other services, to give to people that need it. Even as we use this to put this, this building together, to advance the kingdom of God, to provide you a place where you can advance in ministry in so many ways. Uh, in some cases now, under the new standard in the New Testament, for what I call proportional giving, for wealthy people, the expectation is more than 10%. If God has blessed you and you have an accumulation of wealth, well, I want you to know God looks at that and God expects you to give a proportion of that uh, to his work. This is, again, between you and God, not between you and me, not between you and the church, but between you and the Lord on your knees. Now, Paul makes this very clear about generosity, that it should be cheerful and voluntary. You know, you saw the clip before I preached. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There it is. So when you give, give it with happiness, with love, with a generosity of spirit, not like, oh, you're taking that money out of my pocket again. You understand? You see how this can poison yourself, can poison your outlook? Instead, say, yes, Father, I thank you for what you've given me. I want to give back in so many ways to your work. And so here's the thing. We should not allow the old covenant law of tithing to become a stumbling block to us as Christians as we embrace the new covenant's requirement of generosity. There you see it generosity, that's what the new covenant requires from us. And so some people may start at 1% and work their way up from there. As the Lord touches their heart, I pray that he does. But the point is breaking the curse of love of money, breaking the curse through rearranging our priorities to the kingdom of God. That's what God wants. And I pray when you hear this message and you pray about it that God will give you the courage to tithe. Whether you're making a little or you're making a lot, you ask God to touch your heart because he will do more with your 90% than you will ever do with 100. Now, we talk about tithing not because we're begging you for money, because we're not. Uh, rather, this is about your responsibility to the Lord. I want you to walk with the Lord in faithfulness. We are taking a serious look about what God says about our responsibility and the way we spend our money. Uh, I don't want to give you my opinion on this because my opinion is irrelevant. I want to give you what the Bible says, what God says, what Jesus says, because that's important. Uh, and, and so ultimately, the church relies upon what, what God has put on your heart. Now, Gallup has done several polls on this going back to 1987 up to the present. And I recently searched it and found that they took a look uh, at the, uh, all the Christians throughout the United States, people that call, call themselves Christians, call themselves evangelical Christians. And here's what they found, that these so-called evangelical Christians give, on average, between 2 and 3% to the Lord. 
Yeah. How sad is that? What kind of blessings in your life can you get when that's what you do? What kind of faithfulness to God is there when you do this? This is an important issue for Christians. We know that the Old Testament is taught that has a tithing. We know that teaching. What relevance does it have now to New Testament Christians? I'm trying to make it more relevant for you. There's an even bigger question for you. Tithing belongs to the age of law and the old covenant, and now we're in the age of grace. How do you relate those two concepts? Well, here's the thing. Is there a place for tithing in the age of grace which superseded the issue of the law? Absolutely there is, and that is the purpose of this sermon, that you understand this. Look, we have already covered several Old Testament scriptures on this issue that speak so clearly. We now need to jump to that period of time right before Jesus would be born. This is within 200 years or so of the birth of Christ. Uh, It's still in the Old Testament, but it's very close to the New Testament. It's Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Look at the power of these words, is what God says there. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be a room enough to store it. Do you think someone's trying to stop me from getting this message out? Let me assure you, short of a bullet, I'm getting through this. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations, all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. You're robbing me, says God to Israel. You're robbing me. You are under a curse. Can you imagine the chosen people under a curse? And you know they would be taken away into captivity. Uh, and, and be a part of the, of the diaspora. Uh, so there are three things to notice in this passage. First, there is a warning to the people of God. You are robbing God. I told you to give me a tithe of everything, and you have not done it, because you are consuming it upon yourselves. Your self-centeredness uh, is, is the focus of your lives, and so you are being cursed. Think of that. God is saying this to his own people. I have cursed you because you have not put me first. Second, there's a challenge uh, issued to the doubters. God says, put me to the test. Can you imagine God saying that? Put me to the test. Challenge me. See what I will do. If you don't believe me, just put me to the test. Try me out. Dare to obey what I'm saying and see if I won't open up the floodgates of heaven 
and bless your socks off. Look, I've, I've lived this my whole life. I was born into a family that we thought was middle class, and I only learned later when I was in college we were at best lower middle class, right? I told you the story. We lived on one floor of a house in which there was only one bedroom. Sharon was in the bedroom. My parents slept in the dining room, and I slept in the kitchen, in the kitchen, until I was 18 years old and then went into the basement. And yet my parents tithed. They tithed. My father would take a second job so that he could preach in church because the church couldn't afford uh, to pay him. But he was dedicated to the Lord. And I can tell you, we never lacked anything. Both of us went to college. Both of us went to graduate school. God has blessed us over and over and over again. And I told you that the fact that I, I, take, I come here and I don't take a salary is because God paid me in advance. And so I want you to understand this. I'm preaching this to you so that you have the courage to recognize this is how God wants you to live. Uh, and so here, there's a clear purpose in giving to God through the tithe. The main purpose is that God's house might be fully supplied the same time by giving the first fruit to God, we take the poison out of the money and we take materialism out of the money. This is a critical feature. Let me sum up the nature of tithing as indicated in the scriptures I've given you. First, first, in relation to God, the tithe was meant to glorify God and lift him up and praise him as God Almighty, the source of all blessing. That's the story of Abraham. Second, in relation to God's people, the purpose of the tithe, frankly, is to teach us to put God first, first in everything that we do. Third, in relation to the people of God, the purpose is to ensure that God's work is fully supplied, that we can go out to the poor, that we can do programs that advance ministry, that can advance the kingdom of God. Uh, this is what God wants to use with your tithe. Now, the issue in the New Testament can be called proportional giving. Proportional giving is a higher standard. Notice that? It's a higher standard than the tithe because if you are greatly blessed, you soon will be giving more than 10%. The standard of the giving uh, in the New Testament is grace, and grace is much higher than law. Uh, and so a good summary of this difference that I can give you, and I would encourage you to get a copy of my notes, a good summary of the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is this. In the Old Covenant, there was a command. In the New Testament, the command becomes a model. In the New Testament, what was formerly a percentage now becomes a proportion, a proportion. Consider these words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is between you and the Lord. All right? Give generously. Let God see the generosity of your heart because as you do that, he will sow into your heart 
Uh, don't be miserly. Don't parcel it out meagerly, but do it with the joy of knowing you're giving to God and showing God your faithfulness. Uh, notice what he adds here in verse 8 in that chapter, where he says, And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every work. You understand? It's not merely a quid pro quo, okay, God, I'll give you 10 bucks, you're going to give me back 100? Right? You see these guys on TV. We're not doing that. That's not what the Bible tells you. There's a quid pro quo. There's no quid pro quo. Instead, you give to God, and he pours it into your heart. It may not just be a return of money. It may be happiness, of blessing, of family, of church. The blessings pour and pour and pour and continue to pour into your heart. Look at verses 10 to 11 in that same section where it says, Now he who supplies the seed to the sower... And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. The harvest of your righteousness. This is what he wants. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He wants you to be generous and righteous in every way. He's going to pour it blessing into your heart as you begin to recognize it's all his. It's all his. Now, this sounds, doesn't it? I've just given you New Testament teaching. Doesn't this sound a lot like Malachi chapter 3? Sure sounds it to me. We have the same basic promise in the New Testament as we do in the Old. God promises to abundantly bless Christians who practice generous giving. Generous giving. The blessings are not always material. Let me emphasize that. The blessings are not always material, but they can be family, all right? They can be health. Uh, they can be friends. Uh, they can be church. Uh, Sometimes Christians who are very generous still undergo some kind of suffering. Giving us, giving to God doesn't guarantee that your life will suddenly be a, a bed of roses. Know what I just said. Understand that. But don't let that fact mislead you. Anytime you dare to give generously to God, God, you will never regret it because God will never forget it. God will be no man's debtor. You understand that? God will be no man's debtor. He will pay you back. Press down. Good measure and running over. How he does it is his business. This is between you and God. On your knees, between you and God. And so some simple conclusions to wrap up this sermon for you. What was a command is now a model. What was a percentage is now a proportion. What was a promise is still a promise. Those who put God to the test in the area of giving will never, ever be disappointed. God never meant giving to be a burden, ever. Rather, he meant tithing to be a way that his blessing could be poured into your life, that he could measure your faithfulness as you walked with him. This remains the best 
and most accurate and most effective guide to Christian giving. Surely, surely, surely no consecrated Christian will want to give less under grace than the Jews gave under the law. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads as we close this message. Lord, I thank you for the words that you've given us. Lord, I ask you to touch the hearts of our church, that even though on its, the words may be hard at sometimes to hear this, that we are giving back to you what you've given us, that we recognize, God, that I have a responsibility to you to give the full counsel of God, and that's what I've done here. And so, Father, I ask you that our people bow to you and worship you and accept this as, as a means of showing greater faithfulness. Touch our heart, Lord, and give us courage, courage to tithe. Give us the courage, Lord, even though we may say, I can't afford it, I can't do it, yet, Lord, I will reach out to you and I will obey you and I will do that just like that widow did to Elijah. Father, what a great example that is. What great examples you've given us. I pray that you will continue to let this grow in our heart and resonate in our heart as we continue to walk with you, especially, Lord, during this holiday season. Be with our people and protect them and be with me as well in my travels. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. God bless you, Pastor. I'll see you in two weeks.